Well, good morning to you. I know you're ready to get into God's Word. We are going to be in Philippians chapter 4 today, but before we jump into it, let me take a moment, I guess you'd call it personal privilege, um, just to recognize uh, a very significant uh, partner in my ministry, which is my wife, Jennifer. Uh, This past week, we celebrated 25 years of marriage together, and that's right. I assume you're applauding her for what a valiant effort that was so far, but um, I will tell you, church, um, as, as much as you have expressed your affirmation to me through the years of being here and being your pastor, I think you well know uh, that this church is doubly blessed because of Jennifer's presence and her ministry here. She is, I am the pastor here, but we are in ministry together. And, um, and I, I could not be the man I am in this world, in my faith, um, as a pastor without the influence of her in my life. I consider her a deep, deep gift. I love you. Appreciate you being on this journey with me these many years. It's, we've had our ups, we've had our downs, but the Lord is blessed. And um, so um, I won't be here next week because I'm going to be celebrating with this lady, all right? Uh, we're going to go away for a little bit of, bit of time. We're going to f- wrap up. Um, we're going to wrap up this series today, and we began a brand new series next week in Deuteronomy chapter six on the greatest commandment. And Pastor BJ is going to come and, and uh, next week and be present to lead that. I encourage you to be a part of this series coming up. It'll last four weeks. We'll be uh, through Deuteronomy six in a four-week period. And so make plans to be here. I believe that it's going to deeply bless you. Um, Of the many places that uh, we have journeyed in our ministry, um, the very first church that I was pastor of following seminary uh, was in Trigg County, Kentucky. This is far western Kentucky. Um, The total population of that community in the entire county was barely 13,000 people. Um, in one county. To give you some perspective, in this immediate zip code, 34471, there are over 25,000 people in this one zip code. So we had more, more than twice, almost tw- as twice as many people in this zip code than we had in the entire county. Uh, a third of that county is under Lake Barkley, which is a very large uh, lake in the west end of the state. The other two-thirds of the county is pretty much farmland. It's agricultural land. And nearly every person that was a part of that church that we were part of right out of seminary, they had, in one way or another, they had their hand in agriculture. And I've always had a measure of respect for those who've made their living off of the land, uh, respect for farmers. And part of the reason, beyond the fact that they're just, it is a hard-working profession, and it's very necessary uh, for all of us. We're all blessed by it, benefit by it. But beyond that, I believe those who are involved in agriculture have a view on life that many of us miss out on. Marshall Shelley, who's an associate editor of Christianity Today, had a conversation with his father-in-law, who is a farmer in Kansas, and uh, they were talking about the differences between city life and farm life, and here's what his father told him. He said, most city folks that I know expect each year to be better than the last. They think it's normal to get an annual raise to earn more this year than you did last year. But as a farmer, I have good years and I have bad years. 
And it all depends on rain at the right time, dry days for harvest and no damaging storms. And he said, some years we have more and some years we have less. Now he was speaking of what some refer to as the law of the harvest. And that there are going to be some fat years in which you have a lot and there are going to be have, have some years that we call lean years when things are not as plentiful. You know, this law of the harvest doesn't just apply to agriculture, but it truly applies to life. In our lives, there will be good seasons, there'll be bad seasons. There'll be seasons of plenty, and there'll be seasons of want. And my question for you today, as we get back into this last chapter, this last segment on the book of Philippians, is will you be joyful no matter which season you're in? You're going to be good years? and bad years, good seasons, bad seasons, but will your joy, the level of your joy, match the season, or will it be consistent throughout? Today, as we conclude this series on the book of Philippians that we're entitling No Matter What, remember that it's written by Paul, a man who was enduring his own season of struggle. He was imprisoned, not sure of his own future, but he was concerned about a group of Christians Back in the Macedonia region, in a community called Philippi, this church at Philippi, this church was facing their own pressures simply because they were Christians. There were people in the community who didn't like them, didn't like their message, didn't want them propagating their message. And so the, the community, the culture was pressing against them. And yet, over and over again, as Paul is trying to encourage this group of believers in Philippi, over and over again throughout this letter, he is encouraging them to have joy. To have joy no matter what you face, no matter how good the season may be, which it's much easier to have joy when things are good, but even to have joy in seasons of need. So I want us to jump right into this text here in chapter 4. We're going to be reading from verses 10 all the way to the end of the letter, but focusing primarily on verses 10 through verse 19. So why don't you stand with me as we read this together, and we stand in the honor of the reading of God's Word. Here's what Paul writes and and how he concludes his letter. He writes, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever season I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into, a, into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. 
Lord, perhaps today someone in this room is in great need. And they need to be aware that you are a God of provision. That you take care of your people. Perhaps today there's someone with a financial burden, or maybe it's a need beyond finances. It's hard for them to even articulate. But Lord, I pray that whether the season be great, whether it be low, whether it be a time of need or a time of plenty, the Lord, that they would find encouragement in knowing that you provide and be content with whatever they face. But also, Lord, let us be like Paul, an encourager. Because, Lord, though we may not have the deepest of needs in this moment, there may be those around us who are deeply needy. And I pray, Lord, that we can be an encourager for them, to encourage them, to lift them up, to be there for them, to to share the, the burden, the trouble that they face, but also, Lord, that we may share in the blessings when you respond. So I pray, Lord, that you speak this truth. And we, In advance, we are thankful, Lord, for this entire book and the way that it's spoken and into our hearts and resonated with so many of us, Lord. May we, as we depart this book today, may we not depart the truths, may we not allow those truths to depart our hearts, that may we live these things out every single day moving forward, that we would be a people known to have joy no matter what. Speak, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen and amen. Thank you. Go ahead and have a seat. This morning, as we continue to look at the issue of joy and finding joy no matter what, the call here today is that you find joy and that you rejoice even if you're lacking in something, if there is a need in your life. And so how can you also, knowing you may have needs, realizing others may have needs, how can you be an encourager to them as well? So Paul's going to be speaking in both directions. How can I have joy if I have need, and how can God use me to be an encouragement to others who are in need themselves? So we're going to jump right into the very first point as we begin with with what to do when the need is ours. Paul's going to be speaking primarily about financial needs, but he's addressing the idea of having a need beyond financial. And so when we have a need that, that is beyond us, how, do, how are we to respond? Well, it's simply this. Paul's going to challenge us a few verses down in this text to be content. That's the first point. Be content. No matter what, no matter what you face, no matter how needy you may become, Paul says to be content. Now this word that we're about to, to read may be a little uh, prescient uh, uh, as a word of instruction to us, because things are going okay for us, but I, I fear possibly that some rough and rocky times are in front of us financially in the days ahead. They're, they're, you, we've been watching this, but they're saying that the economy is hot. If you don't know what that means, that basically means that there's a lot of money circulating out in the economy. Um, the government's probably caused quite a bit of this by pumping a lot of money into our uh, economy through their stimulus packages and uh, what that means is that people's got, they, they have a lot of excess money on hand to spend on things. Well, the more that we spend money on things, the less available are those things sometimes. And when we, we don't have enough things to buy, uh, that it's the issue, uh, the law of supply and demand. Uh, things that we want, because they're scarce, they become more pricey to buy. And uh, so things that we used to buy for a dollar are maybe now a dollar ten. And we call this inflation. 
And so they, they say that inflation is raging. They don't have to say it. All we have to do is go put some gas in our car, right? Go buy, buy some eggs, buy some bread, some milk. We're filling it every single day. And they say that to slow it down, and I'm by far no economist, so this is not a TED talk here, okay? You're not, not learning economy from me. Uh, but to slow it down, they say that they got to start raising interest rates to sort of uh, slow down this inflation. And so interest rates are being raised every, every so often. And ultimately, the likelihood is that we're going to have some kind of downturn in the economy. What that means is there are going to be fewer jobs. There's going to be some job losses. It's got a few people worried, especially the common worker. Even some are fearing that we might return to some recessions of the past, like we saw happen here uh, many, many years ago, a few years ago, which wasn't fun for us in Ocala. In fact, the last economic downturn, they call it the Great Recession, it, it, it started in 2007, they said it officially ended in 2009, but the effects on our local economy lasted well into the last decade. In fact, at one point, Ocala had the third worst unemployment rate in the state of Florida, all the while that Florida had one of the worst unemployment rates in the United States. <clears throat> and so while we were trying to recover here in this economy, that's when Jennifer and I and our family moved into to Ocala, and immediately we began to, to, to see the, and sense the economic pain that this community was dealing with. I mean, all you had to do a few years ago, <clears throat> excuse me, was to drive through a neighborhood and see the number of, of for sale signs in front of homes as people were concerned that their, the values of their homes kept dropping and going below what they, what they owed upon their houses. So people were trying to unload their homes in short sales and foreclosures. Or you drive down the highway and see all of the closed business, uh, businesses. Listen, I pray that things don't get that bad for us again. I'm fairly confident uh, that it's not going to happen like this uh, like here. If, 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 if we have an economic downturn in the near future, it's not going to be like we went through about 10 or 15 years ago. But what if we do? What if we do? And what if it impacts you personally? Maybe you have your pay reduced if you're still employed or you lose your job or maybe your retirement account uh, takes a huge hit even more than, than we've seen in, in recent weeks. Or maybe it gets worse, uh, well worse than we ever imagined. Maybe you get upside down upon your house. What if you find yourself in need and you've done everything that you can think of to try to possibly fix it. You've searched and searched to, to try to find a job after losing a job. You try to sell your home and you can't. Uh, you, you've reduced your family's budget uh, to, to a bare bones, uh, sacrificial amount, survival mode. You don't know what else to do. What, what if you have all of these financial needs and you don't know what to do? You know what Paul says? Be content. Now realize that that seems easier said than done, so how can we do that? How, how can we find contentment? Well, Paul's going to show us how to do that, and he begins with an affirming word. We, we find contentment, first of all, through encouragement, through, through the encouragement of our relationships with other people. Notice how Paul re reflects upon the relationships he had. Verse 10, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Paul's saying, look, you were concerned, but you didn't have the means to fix my, my financial situation. So in this closing section here in, in this book of Philippians, he's expressing some appreciation to these local believers in Philippi. If you remember that Paul has a really close relationship with them, 
So much so that as Paul was incarcerated, they had sent one of their own, a man by the name of Epaphroditus, they had sent him to go to Paul, to travel to Rome, to minister to Paul, and to encourage him. And they had also sent, along with Epaphroditus, a, a financial gift, a monetary gift to assist him. But it wasn't the first time that the Philippians had sent out financial help. They had helped via Paul before uh, through some financial giving uh, by giving out of their poverty. In fact, I'm going to go to another book of the Bible. I'm going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 because Paul's going to there describe the gift that the Philippians had collected among themselves uh, to help care for and to meet the needs of some impoverished, impoverished Christians in Jerusalem. Here's what he wrote in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians. He said, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. That's where Philippi was. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. It's been some time since the Philippians have been able to, to last give, but for some reason... We don't know what the reason. They haven't been able to give Paul any financial assistance for a while. They, as Paul puts it here uh, in, in the book of Philippians, they had no opportunity to help. And at the same time, Paul is affirming their concern. Yes, they have been, given, been givers in the past. They had given to him in the not-so-distant past. But now, even though they could not give, he is affirming that they still are concerned on his behalf. He says, you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me. What, what does this tell us? It tells us that the Philippians' concern for, for Paul, for him, was of such of an encouragement to Paul. In fact, it was as, as much of an encouragement as their financial support that they had provided previously. And what it reminds us, it reminded Paul, but it reminds you and me, is of, of why our Christian community that we have here is so important. Whether we acknowledge it in the moment, and it's often tied into whether we have a need or not, we need each other. We need one another. And, and one of the biggest reasons why we need one another is for the encouragement. And can I say it's, it's why you need to be engaged in a community of faith that we call the church beyond just this hour. We're grateful if you're in attendance today. We want you to be present but we would encourage you to not let this time together be the only time that you are congregating with other believers. Because we don't just need this one direction uh, of information being given. We, 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 we encourage one another, of course, in the singing of our songs and hearing the proclamation of the word and praying together in this place. But Christian relationships have to go much deeper. And so we encourage you to find community with other believers, to, to be in community with other believers. One of the best places for that is a community group, which we have offered in a number of ways. We have community groups that meet here on campus on Sunday mornings before the worship hour. We also have community groups that meet throughout the week in homes off campus. What often happens in these community groups is they get together and they pray together, they study the Word together. But they'll also, you'll find them fellowshipping with one another and interacting with one another and looking out for one another and caring for one another. And see, without this type of engagement of relationship one with another, it's, it's less likely that you will be cared for in moments when you truly have a need. And you might not find the encouragement that you need in the timely fashion that you need it. So find contentment through encouragement. 
especially as you face needs. But here's another way that we find contentment. Yes, we may have our needs, and we're not sure how those needs are going to be met, and we find encouragement, uh, uh, we find contentment through encouragement. We also find con- contentment through our flexibility. But being adaptable to our situation. Look at verse 11. Paul says, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. It's not to say that Paul didn't have a need in that moment. He probably did. He didn't have any income from his ministry happening. We're not sure what his family was doing for him. He's under house arrest, which is a special kind of arrest. It's not like the typical being imprisoned uh, by, by, uh, in, the, in the typical jail cell. He's living in a home. There are guards outside of his door. He's not allowed to leave, but he still has to pay for the home, the rent and the food to live in that circumstance. And so Paul is likely to have continued financial needs. He's just not mentioning at this moment. And yet, Paul doesn't ask for more help, even if he does. Why? Because, as he says here, he's learned to be content with his circumstances, whatever those circumstances may be. And you'll notice in verse 12 that, that Paul has lived in both flush times and lean times. Look at verse 12. He says, I know how to be brought low. That's when things are not so good, financially or otherwise. And I know how to abound. I know when it's good. I know how to, to live when I've got plenty. And so he's saying, look, I know how to live when, when the money is thick, and I know how to live uh, when the money is thin. And so Paul is saying, look, here's, here's a key for me, and I, I encourage it to be a key for you. He's saying, be flexible based on your circumstances. It, it, it doesn't matter what you're facing. Be flexible and adaptable. He's the same no matter how his circumstances were. He adjusted as his circumstances adjusted. See, if you find yourself in a financial need, I'd hope you embrace this principle that Paul is providing for us, his perspective. Listen, some of you have learned to do this the hard way. You've been through the darker times. Some of you also have struggled to be content in those times of need. I came across the story of a postal worker um, who discovered a lady who had a f- serious financial need. This lady had, uh, had written a letter and it was addressed to God, care of heaven, and it popped up in the post office. Uh, and so this, they, the postal workers would get letters from this from time to time, letters to God, letters to Santa Claus. And so she opened it up to see what was going on there, and she began to read about this lady's story. And she was, this lady was laying out her heart in this letter, and she had noted in the letter, this, this lady who had written the letter, she had never asked anything in her, of God in her whole life, but she desperately needed $100, and if, she just, if God would just send her the money, please. And the postal worker who was reading this was deeply touched by all of this, and so she began to pass the hat among her co-workers to try to raise some money for this woman to meet her need, and they collected $75, and they put it in an envelope and sent it off to the lady, A week later, another letter arrives, and it's again addressed to God from that that lady who wrote the original letter. The postal worker again sees the letter, opens it up, and here's what the letter said. Thank you, God, for the money. I I deeply appreciate it. However, I only received $75. One of those jerks at the post office must have stolen the rest. I don't know if that's a true story or not, but I'm going to believe it is, all right? But this is a reminder of how discontent we can be sometimes, right? We, we, we may not know the circumstances behind the need, but no matter what we have, so often we tend to be dissatisfied. We're rarely satisfied. 
John D. Rockefeller, one of the richest men alive in his day, was once asked, how much money is enough? And his reply was this, just a little bit more. To be honest, that's how a lot of us think sometimes. We're not flexible. We're not adaptable to our circumstances. So let me encourage you, in whatever situation you find yourself in, learn to be content, especially if your financial circumstances have, have, have worsened. Get flexible, change your lifestyle if need be. But be content. Of course, to be flexible when in great need is not an easy thing. In fact, you'll, you'll probably still need some help from the Lord. So here's another way that we find contentment, and that's th- this way, through the Lord's strength. Look at verse 12, halfway through, he says, In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now listen, verse 13 is one of the most misquoted verses of Scripture. And it's misquoted not because they're saying the wrong words, but it's taken out of context when when people often use it. People often think that this verse means that I can do whatever I, I, I need to do, that anything is impossible if God strengthens you to do it. Now listen, theologically speaking, that is actually true. But that's not the point of this verse. We need to read it in the context of this passage, which is why... I included verse 12 with it. So let me read that again for you. At the end of verse 12, he says, In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, and I can do that, I can do all things like that, through him who strengthens me. And so when Paul was saying we can do all things, in his mind he's thinking of these financial circumstances. That, that Paul is able to be content in whatever circumstance that, that he faced himself with, he could do so even in the deepest, direst places of need because the Lord was going to strengthen him in order to do so. So what do you do when you find yourself at the end of your financial rope? Well, you trust the Lord. Why? Because you can do all things through him who strengthens you. That's why knowing you do this because you know that the Lord will see you through. Does this mean that the Lord's going to fix every, every single aspect of your financial shortcoming, your financial dilemma? Not necessarily, not necessarily. In fact, your situation, as bad as it may get, may get worse than you can even imagine. And yet these words remind us that we can be content because we're going to trust that the Lord will see us through. Of course, that's going to require some trust on your part and mine. You have to trust his empowerment. So do you have it? Do do you trust him? Did did he give you what you need to face your time of need? Of course he will. Remember when Tim Tebow was playing and he used to put the the, the marks under his eyes and he would put Bible verses. One of the ones he used the most was Philippians 4.13. Some wondered if that was his, his secret. It wasn't. He was just physically gifted by the Lord to play football. But at the same time, we, as we know who Tim Tebow is, he was also operating on a different level in this world. In life, he knew that he was also spiritually gifted. Spiritually gifted enough to play football. That was a physical giftedness. But he knew that he was spiritually strengthened, like all of us. Because all of us, you and I, we, we have access to the same kind of empowerment as we face the challenges of our own lives. And it's not just financial needs only. As he says, we can do all things through him who strengthens. God empowers us. That means He strengthens us to be content no matter what our need may be. 
All right, well, what if the need's not ours? What if you see somebody else in need? Well, let's go back to that first point and the first sub-point about encouragement. Remember that first point about finding contentment? We find contentment through encouragement, through others. The idea behind that is it's not just us, that there's someone out there who is offering encouragement to us. Well, there's got to be somebody out there to, to provide the encouragement. So if we see a need in somebody else's life, here's what the second point of this message is all about. When you see somebody else in need, be an encourager. You be content if you have a need, regardless of what you may face. Meanwhile, the rest of us need to be encouragers. So how can we do that? Well, first, we can be encouragers by sharing the struggle. See, Paul saw the Philippian believers, that church in Philippi, as his co-workers, as his partners in his need and in his ministry. Look at verse 14. Paul said there in verse 14, It was kind of you to share my trouble. So Paul's talking about how they shared his trouble. That word share, it really means a, a deep partnership of two people going in the same direction. You know, if I could give you a picture of that, it would be like if, we, if there was something heavy uh, on this stage and uh, I would ask one of you to come up and to help me and we picked this thing up together. It was more than I could carry, but the two of us can together, partnering together, we can lift it up, but we have to be then moving in the same direction. That's the idea that Paul is giving to us here with this word share. But this word share has an even deeper meaning. The Greek word, I'm going to pronounce it for you, is synkonaneo. I don't know if you hear a familiar word in there. We've given you another Greek word earlier in our study in the book of Philippians called koinonia. Remember that word? It means fellowship. We saw it back in chapter 2, but koinonia really speaks about Christian fellowship. It's a very special word, uh, often used in conjunction to describe both the church but also marriage, and it talks about the sharing of, of privileges, of the, that we have as an intimate group or an in intimate association. What it really means is partnership, deep fellowship. That's the, the background word, the, what's going on in the background with this word share. So specifically, Paul is saying that they shared this koinonia, sin, sin uh, koinonia. We are partners, or we have fellowship, we share in his trouble, we share in his afflictions. This word trouble, Paul is using to refer to his sufferings for Christ. That is, his ministry and his arrest because of his faith and his mission in Jesus Christ. But at the same time, Paul is acknowledging that these Philippians also share the same trouble and that they were afflicted for the very same reasons Paul was afflicted. They suffered. Paul was suffering because he was a follower of Christ and was engaging in the mission. They also suffered because they embraced Christ and were pursuing the mission. And so Paul, as he is suffering, as he had a need, Paul is encouraged in his time of need because he knew that he was not alone in his time of desperation. He knew that there were others who were with him, both in mind and spirit, that others were struggling alongside of him. And can I tell you, as someone who has been in low moments in my own life, how it is such an encouragement as someone who is in need when you have someone to come alongside of you and to share that need with you, to be in the gutter with you, to be uh, 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 beside you so that you're not alone, to know that someone is shouldering the trouble, again, reminding you that you're not alone, that, that somebody cares for you, that someone is concerned over what you're going through. 
Yet again, that, this is why we, we choose to be in community. Perhaps this is a really good place for me to address, yet again, a ridiculous idea that seems to be pro, a, a growing and prevailing idea among those who think that the church is an option. Here's how the, the, the thinking goes. They say, well, you know, faith is personal. You know, you, you, you enter into a relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You trust Him personally for salvation. And they, they also state something along these lines. You know, you can worship God anywhere, which, by the way, is a true statement. But then they extrapolate that to go further to say, well, if you can worship God anywhere, well, you can just worship God at home all the time or on the golf course. You don't need other people to worship God. And that sounds all well and good until the trouble comes, when the need comes. Then who's going to be there for you? Who's going to share the trouble with you? Who will be your partner in your time of need? That's why we press in in our community and in our relationships, because we share the trouble together. Here's another way that we can be encouragers, and that is by sharing the burden. So Paul didn't just see the Philippians as sharing his trouble, but he also saw them as partners in the burden of his ministry, that the burden of his ministry to take the gospel to the ends of the earth to share the gospel, that was his burden. They also saw it as their burden too. And a, a tangible expression of that uh, comes through their financial support of Paul's ministry. Consider verses 15 and following. He says, you and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church from Macedonia, at least, entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. What Paul is saying here about this particular group of believers, this church at Philippi, that they were the only church in Macedonia that really got it. They got the bigger picture, the mission. When they had first heard the gospel, they understood its potential to turning the world upside down for the Lord. They believed it, they trusted it, and they wanted to be a part of passing the gospel on to others. There were other churches out there that, that failed to help Paul on his mission. They were all about the receiving, but really weren't up for the giving. But that wasn't true of this Philippian church. They weren't just receivers, they were givers. They shared Paul's burden for the ministry, and as a tangible expression of that, they financially gave to see that it would continue. Now, you do realize that we're all partners of that same ministry, that same mission that Paul was a part of so long ago. The, the, the ministry of Paul is the ministry that we're engaged in even to this day. It's the ministry of Christ. It's his mission. It, it is the same burden that we share. And I, listen, I think it's a really good moment. May, may I take a moment to affirm you, church? I just want to say as your pastor, how deeply, deeply grateful and appreciative I am of you for your financial faithfulness here. It, 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 it amazes me. This, the last two years have, have been incredibly difficult and challenging for our church, as it was for so many people, and it was challenging in so many ways. You know, when COVID uh, threatened to shut down the country, it, it put a great burden on our church, and we were trying to find our way through it all. Do you know one way that it wasn't a challenge? I, it's amazing to me as I stand on this side of these last two years to say this, but the one way that it wasn't a financial challenge, or it wasn't a, a challenge, it wasn't a financial challenge. There was not a moment during that entire season that we found ourselves in financial difficulties. 
Now, I've told you before, in a moment of weakness, at the beginning of all of that, when they were threatening to shut down the country, I got deeply, deeply concerned about the financial viability and sustainability of our church because most of our contributions in that season were coming through the Sunday morning offering, and they were telling us to shut down the worship services. Remember, we were out of this building for one-fourth of the year, right? I know we did what we did outside, and praise God that He gave us that as a gift to minister to you and to minister to the church But I will tell you, before we entered into that, I thought, how in the world are we going to survive when we're not passing an offering plate week to week? But you know, church, you found a way. The church found a way, you found a way, and we did not lack at any moment during that season because you were faithful and you continue to be faithful. And I believe it's because you, you truly understand that we are part of a much grander mission than what's happening on this camp campus. Of course, we are launching the gospel ministry from here, but, but you have the ends of the earth in your eyesight and you continue to be faithful because you see yourself as a partner in this grand mission to take the gospel to the nations. And if you're not partnering with us financially, let me, let me encourage you to, to share the burden with us. And I don't appeal to you to give uh, because we need it, but to do so because you believe in this mission. And that you see yourself truly as a partner in the mission and because you are all in. Don't just be a receiver, but be a giver, a contributor. Be a true partner and shoulder the burden of our mission. Now listen, these Philippians, they weren't just token uh, contributors either. They gave, yes, but they kept on giving. They gave and they gave again. Remember how Paul described them as generous back in 2 Corinthians 8? Let me read it one more time to you. He says, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty poverty have overflowed in a, as he describes it, a wealth of generosity on their part. Remember, they were poor. As Paul describes it, extreme poverty. And yet they were enormously and extremely generous. The question that begs to be asked is, are you generous? Are you generous with the Lord? Are you being generous in in your partnership with the mission? And if not, would you consider being more generous than you are? One last encouragement. We can be the encourager by sharing the blessing. I want you to note very quickly how Paul said the Philippians had blessed him. Look at verse 18. He says, I've received full payment and more. In other words, I've got everything that I need. I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Here is the result of the generosity of the Philippian believers. Paul's needs have been met. In other words, they blessed Paul. They were a blessing to him. And as a result, guess what? They received a blessing. Look at verse 19. In return, they had blessed Paul. In return, they would receive a blessing promised in verse 19, one of the most familiar verses in Scripture. Paul's promise to them on behalf of the Lord. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. I want you to make note here that it says that he will supply every need. Not just financial, but every need. But also note, he's not saying he will supply every want. Now, Christian in America, listen to me, there is a distinct difference between need and want. And sometimes we, we blur the, the two. Let me give you a little bit of perspective. They say that Americans are some of the wealthiest 
people in the world. Here's how one defined it. If you have sufficient food, decent clothes, adequate shelter, some kind of of reliable transportation, you are in the top 15% of the world's wealthy. And I dare say that for most of us, that's who we are. If you have some savings, two cars, a variety of clothes, and your own house, you have now reached the top 5% of the wealthy in the world. You, you may not be as needy as you think. It's all a reminder that for us that live in this context, we have already been blessed beyond measure by the Lord, and we really need to remember that. But we also need to remember that He, he never promised us financial riches. The moment you hear any pastor, preacher, teacher tell you that God has promised to make you wealthier and healthier, you need to turn off the channel. He never promised us financial riches. Never, he never promised to meet our wants. But he did promise to meet our needs. And that's how he blesses us. He, he takes care of us. So as a reminder, be an encourager by blessing others. And the Lord is promising to bless you in return by meeting your needs. Now, how do we know this to be true? We know it to be true because he's already provided a way to meet our greatest need. So your your greatest need is not some material concern. Your greatest need is a spiritual one. You were born with a curse. It's the curse of sin, and that, that curse separates you from God. And that curse of sin is something that you cannot undo yourself. You, you cannot overcome it yourself. And as hard as that news may be, it's, it's difficult news, it's bad news, the good news is that God did what was necessary to undo the curse on your behalf. You deserve to die for your sin. All of us are, are afflicted with sin. We have the curse of sin just by being human beings. It affects us all and afflicts us all. And none of us can be right, made right with God because we're good people or we go to church and we, we're kind or even encouraging to others. We can never undo the curse. What the curse of sin ultimately is, it's a punishment called death. We deserve to die for our sins. The good news is that God himself paid the penalty of our sin. He took death upon his body. He bled, he died upon the cross to pay the penalty of your sin. Now this breaking of the curse is not something that happens automatically. But we must receive it by recognizing that Jesus is Lord, trusting Him, having faith in Him, repenting of our sins, and turning to Him for salvation. And by that provision, what God has done for us in that, it is a reminder that He can also meet every single need of our lives. So friend, if you do not have faith and trust in Christ, you do not have His forgiveness, and you are still in spiritual need. And I'm going to encourage you as we wrap up this series. Paul has been talking over and over and over again about having joy, having joy and rejoicing. But friend, it's not just a generic kind of joy. Over and over again, he goes back to Jesus. It's joy in Christ. There's no way for you to have joy no matter what unless your joy is in Jesus. And that joy only comes When you are a child of His, you have been forgiven of your sins and you're walking in a relationship with Him. If you do not know Jesus today, let today be the day that you have your greatest need met and then you can be content in Him for all of eternity. Let's pray together. Lord, as always, we express our, our deep gratitude for Your provision, the ultimate of which is spiritual provision.
And Lord, I ask now that if there be anyone here that does not know you, that's heard the message, they recognize even now through the prompting of the Spirit of God that there is the deepest of needs in their life and it's a need that they can never meet on their own, in their own strength, and that need is one of the Spirit. They're lost in their sin and unforgiven. They remain separated from you. But Lord, even as you bring conviction upon their heart about the state of their spirit in this moment, I pray also, Lord, that you break through and lead them to faith in you. Help them to see that this need is a need that can be met because you have paid it all upon the cross. And Lord, let them respond in faith, trusting in you, repenting and turning to you for the forgiveness and the salvation of their sins. So let it be, we pray. And now, Lord, for those of us who have already experienced this greatest need having been met in our lives, Lord, let that also impact how we live before a lost and dying world, but also, Lord, in how we look to you, you who are the great provider. And let us find our contentment in you, whether we're in a season that is flush or a season that is lean, that we would remain adaptable because we are tied to, to you and our joy is tied to you and not into our circumstances. Thank you, Lord, for meeting every need. And we trust you now to do your work here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.